You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 184. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com for our Your Stock Artake segment, and we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be with you this week. I'm back from an analyst conference in LA, and we are on the precipice of our fall webinars on Wednesday and in person, our VIP seminars this weekend in Vancouver and Calgary. We kick off the special show with a brief discussion on legendary U.S. stock jock Jim Cramer's Mia Kalpa on his buy recommendation on Meta, or Facebook, which has not worked out so well. This week, we initiate a new feature, interviewing top management teams of solid Canadian and U.S. growth and dividend growth stocks. We expect to interview one per month moving forward. This month, we welcome Renee Gorham, president and CEO of TSX Venture-listed Biosyn Inc., symbol RX on the TSX Venture. It's a profitable growth-oriented specialty pharma company focused on in-licensing or acquiring innovative pharmaceutical and other healthcare products, primarily in the Canadian market. The interview is quite extensive, and we hope you enjoy the format. Our star of the week is Hammond Power Solutions, Inc., symbol HPS.A on the TSX, which should be no stranger to clients having been a focus buy in our Canadian small cap growth stock coverage. For a number of years, the company itself enables electrification, I can't speak English, through its broad range type transformers, power quality products, and related magnetics. Hammond serves the oil and gas, mining steel, wastewater treatment, commercial construction, data centers, EV charging, energy storage, solar, and wind power generation industries. The stock jumped 20% this week or just in the past two days and is up 67% in 2022, powered by record results throughout the year, particularly those strong Q3 results just announced at the end of last week. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Salutations. to hear. Brennan's dressed like a leprechaun today. I guess uh, Ryan and I are... Getting ready to uh, take the kids yeah. out trick or treating, oh, yeah. and Brett and Brandon going are out trick or treating, getting their yeah. costumes ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> it's true. Yes. Nah, you guys. I'm sure you have some wild young man parties no. tonight. No. Young old. This is man actually. Parties. I was telling That's Ryan this is the first. These guys. These guys will be reading financial exactly, reports yeah, tonight. Doing working on slides. Preferring, preferring that. Presentations yeah. coming up. Yeah, we we do. We have a lot of content uh, that we're putting together. It's right true. Now, right. So. Um, upcoming this week is the, I believe it's on Wednesday is our first DIY seminar, uh, the webinar it's the, the online version of the DIY, but coming up on the weekend, the first time in years, we're going to be doing in-person, uh, VIP DIY yeah. events. And that's going to be in Vancouver on Saturday and, uh, Calgary on Sunday. So that's really exciting. I mean, lot, um, usually we'd be hammering away at 
getting people to get tickets to those, but literally those two VIPs are basically sold out. I mean, I think yeah. there's a couple tickets left. Mm-hmm. And the tickets are going incredibly well for the webinars next week. Yeah, if you want tickets, you know, it's the, what is it? The 2nd, November 2nd, this Wednesday and November 8th. Is that next Tuesday? Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. So, and November, it's seven o'clock Pacific this uh, Wednesday, and then it's seven o'clock Eastern next Tuesday. So if you want tickets to those, uh, grab those because they're going very fast. And, you know, we're just going to tell you how to build that simple 15 to 20 stock portfolio. There's seven buy recommendations in there as well. Aaron, sorry, I cut you off. You were talking, I think. No, no, I. You're probably just completing yes, my sentence. Good, good. So thank you. That's like always. We're like twins, right? Like everybody says that when <laughs> when they see us. Well, we actually have identical. <laughs> <I> know, <it's laughs> awesome. So Aaron, both, Aaron's big joke is twins all the time. So oh, we're twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. everybody says identical. that about us. It's so weird. People can't yeah, tell true. us apart. It's true. Ah, oh, just like Brett and Brennan, they can't tell them apart. Too, yeah. Right. It's true. Spitting you guys are brothers. That's why he wears the hat. Except for the hat. <laughs> yeah. Except for the hat. Yeah, Thank I, God. I, I, and the hat and glasses. Why don't you explain the hat? Yeah, just well, really just quickly. the whole yeah. suit. This was actually my grandpa's uh, suit. Um, he was one of the original eight founding members who brought the Prince Albert Raiders from the SJHL to the WHL uh, in Prince Albert. Um, so he actually passed away in 2015. Um, you know, and I didn't think that I'd ever really wear his suit on an occasion but uh today is that occasion so i am uh, wearing it in his honor uh for halloween i hope that's that he's awesome. okay with that yeah. uh, <laughs> it is awesome yes, i'm sure he the, would be the prince albert raiders logo and then also right there as well yes yes it's beautiful you should wear that, that that's actually an awesome yeah, it's, story it's my, my my intention was actually to use the story to somehow, <laughs> now you like, can Brennan, but that's actually yeah. a really yeah. good story and and then you know you know, yeah. full respect for your, mm-hmm. to your grandpa for being a part of Canadian hockey. And yeah. And he was actually like one of the longest, he was one of the longest season this. holder tickets. So he had one basically his whole mm-hmm. life. Um, and yeah, my parents were actually going to bring this to, uh, you know, Valley village or salvation army. And I was like, there's not a chance. Like you guys have Whoa. to, yeah. you know, I probably no. won't wear it, no, no. but and it fits you. It smells like my grandparents house, you know? Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I'll get it dry cleaned. <laughs> I know that's the memories, right? Yeah. My house exactly. is starting yeah. to smell that that's way. That's great. the sad part. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God. It's, I Just know. Every room is fine too. <laughs> the same. <laughs> the rest mm-hmm. of the house is yeah. fine. No, I think yeah. you said season holder ticket. What's a season holder ticket? You mean season ticket holder? Season ticket holder. Yes. That's Some good. days I just no. Uh, I got that. Your story was around. too good. I'm not gonna make fun of you, so it's good. Yeah. Well, you just did. No, that's, that's a good. Story. <laughs> well, I was just clarifying for the listeners, right? What they're like? What's this? Not as much as he would. Yes, would've. I would have ripped into you. That was just a slight bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just wait until right. I'm in front of the crowd this weekend. You know, it's gonna be interesting what comes out of my mouth. Yeah. Wearing your yeah, suit you got to wear one of those to one like of our analyst meetings and just and just like and say sure. and eat some Lucky Charms at the same time. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Oh, that would be great. All right, so let's get to uh, our first bit of news this week. I think Jim Cramer, uh, legendary kind of stock jock in the U.S., um, came out made a mea culpa here. Um, said I made a mistake. I was wrong. I trusted management team, not myself. I was wrong. So should we play the clip? I made a mistake here. I was wrong. I trusted this management team. 
That was ill-advised. Hubris here is extraordinary. And I apologize. Okay. Um, what did you get wrong? I had a, a belief that there was a recognition that there is a amount that you can't spend. Contrast that, for instance, with Jim Farley, who took a project that was his, Argo, and closed it because it was not ready. It was not near enough. This situation is almost a rogue situation. I had thought there would be an understanding that you just can't spend and spend right through your free cash flow, uh, that there had to be some level of discipline, and I didn't get it. But, David, what did I get wrong? I, I trusted them, not myself. For that, I regret. Okay. I've been in this business for 40 years, and I did a bad job. He, he <laughs> played that, did a mea culpa, and he, he teared up. And said he was wrong about it, um, and uh, his recommendation on Facebook was wrong, and he felt terrible on it. And but I, I mean, I would say, like, as far as I understand, like the the management team at Facebook stated that you know it was a ten year venture, ten plus year venture, and yeah, yeah, the company had a weaker than expected quarter without a doubt, but it has been trending like financially downwards for several quarters. So if his thesis was based on anything that we were going to see in that quarter, yes, it was probably worse than most of the market and he expected. Um, really, if it was just based on that, then his analysis was negligent. And to me, any buy thesis, if you had a buy thesis on Meta, uh, it would have been a belief in the long-term investment in the Metaverse because this is what they telegraphed that they were going to do, so, um, which would suggest some near-term pain. So uh, changing your opinion now, you know, now saying I was wrong and we shouldn't buy, um, it just looks like he did some very, very cursory analysis going in. And it, it really, to me, it looks bad shedding a tear. It looks like crocodile tears. And like, I'm trying to distract away from my pathetic analysis, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. just, I would rather have him say I was wrong. I don't think we need the tears there. Um, and, you know, they asked him, what were you wrong on? And he said, I trusted management. Well, and not myself. Well, I mean, <laughs> you got to trust your analysis, right? And that's management is part of that. But your full analysis can't be, I like management, I bought stock. You know, that can't be the full analysis. Seems really like pathetic and cursory analysis to me. I don't know. You I guys' agree. thoughts? Yeah, like he called it a rogue situation, you know, in relation to the company not having any discipline to capital. Uh, you know, like they're, they're investing yeah. heavily right now. Um, but I mean, realistically, they're yeah, making I mean, we can let's category. just be put it out there too. We came out and said, like, Last we week. did our analysis on this company, we wouldn't be buying because of what was to up, upcoming and because we saw the metaverse is a huge risk. Like, I'm not sure how you didn't come to that inclusion versus you know, the buy, 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 which is you know, what Kramer and especially when management's so. saying it's a 10 year timeline, like this, we're investing now for the future, yeah. like, this might not bear fruit for a while. Um, and it is really so we're surprised it, when they have a weak quarter. That seems silly. You know? Yeah. And that they have to invest heavily to essentially make this new category. I mean, I would kind of say that it's a new category kind of um, really to get people to adopt into the metaverse. And, you know, 
maybe in 10 years it will be uh you know commonplace um but yeah i mean in the near term i don't see what kramer was seeing well it wasn't yeah. just kramer the entire no, stock dropped 25 percent. Yeah. yeah like it, yeah. it's not just an isolated instance of one television analyst he was the uh, only one yeah. everybody else was saying <laughs> sell, and yeah, everybody like, held on for him and then he lost everything it was just money. him that yes was it him. was just yeah. him That's what we're and, and it wasn't like the stock hadn't yeah. already been dropped it's down 70 drop percent since dropping. its highs yeah. of yeah. yeah this shouldn't have been a shock to anyone i don't know how no. a single person who looked into the company more than 30 seconds is shocked to where it's a 25 percent drop on this earnings yeah yeah there shouldn't no, have been I, that but like sure a drop but 25% on a mega cap like this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, but like we said, the fundamentals were deteriorating. So it was going in this direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you looked at other social media stocks, what they were posting, weaker results getting hit. Yeah. The, the surprise to me is the surprise. Like being surprised that yeah. the results came in weaker is a surprise. Like if somebody was surprised, you know what I'm saying? So. I know what you're saying. This this was a pandemic boom yeah. story as yeah. well, right? I mean, they did. It's one of the stories they did very well during the pandemic. Um, you know, now now we're out of the pandemic, so so they're as as like a lot of other companies out there that did well during the pandemic. They have to give some of those earnings back. Now we're seeing now we're seeing results come down. There could be other things in play mm-hmm. at Facebook as well. I mean, there's been some well, the moves at Apple, the right? IPhone, the, like the, the privacy. Apple privacy. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of things going on there. But I mean, in terms of, I mean, I don't know what uh, what what Kramer was really talking about. There's there's no need to cry, right? I mean, you you as an analyst, you you do the best job you can to provide an analysis on a company, and if you're wrong on some areas, and you find out where you're wrong and and you own it, which he said, I'm owning it, but I don't, I'm not really sure where, where the tears come into play. I mean, a grown adult crying over something like, you know, the financial markets is, um, it's just really disingenuous to me. And I, I don't really like to see it. Just, just focus mm-hmm. on the facts. And, you know, I also don't know what he meant, just like yeah. what you said, Ryan, about, you know, I well, trust they the asked management. him, well, I, I'm not sure what did, what did management say that made you think that, this was he trusted maybe they'd be better story. stewards of capital, but but I mean, they had come out and right. said okay, it was so, going to be a long term investment. We're going to spend a lot yeah. of money. And my understanding, sorry, Brett, do you know what the, my understanding is that they've invested what about a a, a billion, billion into the matter? Ten like, billion. Like, how much? Ten. ten billion. Okay, so it's yeah. so ten so ten billion dollars. Yeah, so that's that's a very significant investment. Now, you know. To put that into perspective, that's about, you know, like their current market cap, even after all the declines that they've seen. I mean, they've lost about three quarters of their share price almost in, you know, a little over a year. You know, the current market cap is in the range of like 200, 250 billion. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. Um, But that in and of itself would not explain a 25% drop in the share price. The drop in the share price was more just about continue weakness in the financial results. Yeah, there's a lot of negative press on the whole meta thing. But I mean, this is this is it's only been what about mm-hmm. a year since they changed their yep. name and have really pursued this path. I wouldn't expect, you know, there to be big a big change within a year. I mean, this is you, you know, you look at other companies that do that engage in big like just to take Walt Disney, for example, Disney with their Disney Plus, right? They said straight up, it's going to be five, six years before it's profitable. And that's more along the timelines that I would expect for something like the metaverse. Now, 
I, I'm, I don't own Meta shares. I never recommended them. I don't know anything about the metaverse. So I'm not the best person to talk about it, but I wouldn't expect that it's going to be an overnight, an overnight thing. I would be more concerned just about the current state of the company's business and ad sales. Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem I have with the entire Mia Culpa there is they give him a chance to say, he said, I got it wrong. That's fine. Then give it, give, give, given a chance to explain to viewers what you got wrong. You can, you kind of choke out. I trusted management too much. Um, I mean, if your entire thesis is just, I like management, and we already said this, like, it's not analysis into a company. I'm sorry, you're not doing analysis. So you shouldn't be too choked up. You should be choked up or mad at yourself because that's all you did, basically, if that's your entire analysis. So, I mean, that would be what I would look at it because like Brett said, anybody who did 30 seconds of analysis could see it was trending negatively in the near term. Like your only thesis would have been a belief long-term in management. And then you were completely, uh, your thesis completely would have had to change at that point because of a poor quarter. Well, you know, it just seems like fly by the seat of your pants analysis. That's all I'm trying to say. Really. And I, I think that's what I'll, yeah, you know, not one a lot. Thing I am going to say is that there is a huge amount of risk in what Facebook is doing. And this is something that every investor should understand when you're taking, when you're basically looking at your company and you're, and you're, you're saying, you know, five to 10 years, our current business. So hard to be, predict, you know, yeah. relevant in the market, you know, so we have to completely transform what we're doing. It's almost like you're becoming a startup again. Yeah. Like if you look at like what face or meta owns now outside of Facebook, there's Instagram, there's WhatsApp, a few other things, but they never developed those technologies. They acquired them. That's why a lot of companies, when they get the Facebook size, prefer the route of acquisition because developing a whole new business, it's almost like you become a startup yeah. again. And all the, know, risks, the irony all the risks. is there's yeah. a lot of research on it. Like startups that have a lot of money, a lo having a lot of money can actually be a detriment because Piss you can just away. basically, you can <laughs> pursue things, bad ideas indefinitely or until, you know, that huge war chest runs out. And so I personally, like when I look at Facebook or Meta and like what they're doing, I'd be very cautious about, you know, whether they have the ability, even with all of their financial resources to really be the leaders of the metaverse. Um, or if the future leader of the metaverse in five to 10 years is going to be some startup that nobody even knows about right now, that would be more my concern. On a company like well that. i will say they are using uh oculus which they acquired like 2014 or something like yeah. that i'll put yeah. up the date mm -hmm. but, um yeah and that's going to be a lot of their uh r d right now like they just re released a new vr headset for about 1500 which is on the higher end us so they are yeah. trying to get some sort of yeah us which before that you're looking at probably about a thousand dollars at most for even higher end ones yeah. besides for consumer grade i should say there are extremely expensive vr headsets and so they are trying to get something in there. So if they can kind of slow the bleeding and then a decade out, they have like that big pop-off moment where it just shoots up that parabolic run in revenue, then yeah, sure, there's something, but there's just so much risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we hashed out. Once again, I'm not a vet. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not a metaverse guy. I'm not a gamer guy, but I, you know, I have to say that that is as attractive as the potential of vr is i don't think it's really i don't think it's really no super it's not mainstream it's right no now. not even close <laughs> yeah it's it's but i mean i i mean i remember even when i was a teenager there was vr and i tried it and i thought within a few years it was going to really catch on and dominate gaming in and the stone age where, there you know, was 
decades. I know. Now we're hundreds of years later. Anyways. Many many decades later. And they're still talking. So I I still think it's going to happen, but who knows when. I think that what Meta is trying to do is they're trying to invest ahead so that when, you know, it really does explode, they're basically there with all the infrastructure. Are they going to develop the apps or the app or the system, the platform that the kids at that time want to use? And, you know, we're not, when we hashed out, like we looked at Meta and it screened fairly well in our screeners. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a cash rich business that they'd have, you know, they have 2.5 billion users. Like it's crazy how many users they have, uh, good cash flow they had right up until the last quarter, essentially. Um, so like we hash out, do we like this business? Cause it starts to look right now quite cheap. If you look historically at the cash flow it's generated, generated and the price it's trading at now. But they, they made a like a visionary bet that we just have no insight into. So we cannot, you know, we don't we know the risks are high and we're just not comfortable making that bet with our money when we can see other platforms out there, other within the Fang universe, if you want to even just look there, that have far more certainty and far less risk and trade at re- also reasonable prices. So you, you're you're looking at the company, you're looking at the risk relative to other uh, businesses that are, are similar to some degree. And, you know, our determination was, you know, you're making a They're making a visionary call going forward and you have to believe in that. We have no special insight into whether that they will maybe the metaverse works and maybe it's not Facebook that even is behind it, to be honest, that can happen. But if it works and, and everything hits for them, maybe it, it works well five to 10 years from now or it could completely flop. And and then you have your downside risk, and uh, the company's invested tens of billions of dollars in this, right? So you know, at, at that point, it, it didn't make any sense for us. It still doesn't make any sense for us right now. So we're glad to have avoided that. There's some other names that we like at this point. Now we had some other topics we're going to go on. Let's just look at the Canadians. Uh, this headline: Canadians have never felt worse about their finances. Then we'll cut it. We'll do our star, and we've got a big interview this week that everybody would like to get to. So this, this headline is kind of, is a little bit more than it is. It says Canadians have never felt worse about their finances. It's a poll, but then of course you look into it and says, um, they say their finances haven't been this bad in more than a decade. So, (laughs) I mean, if never is just 10 years now, I guess, but I mean, and you know, it goes into it, uh, Brett or Brennan, do you want to look at this a little bit, or have you guys looked at it? Uh, yeah, I can further. just kind of talk right? a, yeah. exactly. So every week, Nanos Research surveys 250 Canadians for their views on personal finances, job security, the economy, and real estate prices. Um, and essentially, the highlights from the latest data were that. Um, let me see here. Canadians are extremely pessimistic about the outlook for the economy with 64% saying they expect it to deteriorate over the next six months and only 9% seeing an improvement. Uh, there's also sentiment around real estate has been sliding since March, which, you know, doesn't come as a surprise, you know, when interest rates began to rise, 40% of Canadians currently anticipate falling home prices over the next six months. Um, and then finally, they are saying that job security remains about at historic averages with 13% of respondents saying they are at least somewhat concerned about losing their job. And there's one other element, 47% of oh, respondents said their finances have worsened over the past year. Yes. Uh, 
their highest ever reading for this question and surveys going back to 2008. Mm-hmm. Not ever. It's a good headline. But yeah, I mean, I think it's something we, we do know people are getting inflation is eating into people's, you know, disposable income. And I think that's the biggest thing here on a job. Like you talked about the job basis. Uh, it's just remains job security. Pessimism on jobs remains just at historical averages. Right. Yeah. So we're not uh, anywhere. And Aaron's talked about this before, particularly in the U.S., like the job picture there still continues to be strong. So, um, you know, it's a pinch of the wallet. It's more than a pinch in some cases, but, um, um, yeah, I think you're seeing more of that and there certainly is a more pessimistic outlook out there for sure. So see that translates into consumer spending, which drives, you know, North American economy likely have some tough comparables, you know, going into the end of this year and the start of next year. Yeah. All right. Any other comments on that? Or you want me to get to the star? Let's get into the star. You got nothing. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. Star. Star of the week, Hammond Power Solutions, Inc. Symbol HPS.A on the TSX. $20.50, $241 million market cap. Not a billion. We'd like it to get there, but not, not anytime soon. 2% 2% dividend. Uh, the company has a history that dates back over 100 years. They enable electrification, I said it better this time, through a broad range of dry type transformers, power quality products, and related magnetics. Uh, the company serves the oil and gas mining, steel, wastewater treatment, commercial construction data center, EV charging, where it is in every Tesla station uh, across Canada, energy storage, solar wind power generation uh, industries, all these industries. So let's look what drove the jump in the share price. Q3 results, 2022 sales increased 56% to 149 million. Earnings went to 97 cents from 34 cents in the same period last year. The order backlog increased 141%. Cash generated, it generated 16.5 million in cash from operations in the quarter. The numbers were great across the board as costs stabilized, margins recovered from the second quarter. They have historically high production volumes. That's having a positive impact on margins. They continue to experience a very favorable environment with sales across all business regions continuing to grow at the highest rate in the company's history. Given the momentum uh, and the number of business opportunities management sees around the business, they have announced prudent spending, capital spending moving forward selectively um, in in terms of their manufacturing capacity and service capacity. So the company has a cash position and balance sheet that have continued to strengthen over the first nine months of this year. It's gone from a net debt position to significant net cash, provides a solid foundation to grow organically through 20 into 2023 and beyond through organic and through acquisition. Now the stock is up 67% year to date, 20% in the last two days. Despite this, it will likely earn north of $3 per share this year. It gives the stock a PE of well under seven. The gains this past week, however, and year to date, give Hammond Power the coveted status of our star of the week. Okay. Very rare to find uh, a company outside of 
outside of energy with that kind of a year to date. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, one thing that they've been able to do is they got ahead of uh, inflation with price increases over the last year and into this year that have allowed them to, you know, maintain margins. And I think you do have a perfect storm. Like their traditional industries, huge transformers for the mining industry, which has been doing well, the energy industry, which has recovered significantly. And then you've got them in EV, charging, data centers, and uh, you know solar. So all of those areas at once, typically it has one area doing well and another area not doing so well, and then it kind of shifts back. I think they've got uh, a pretty perfect storm with some price increases. Uh, I, you can't expect that growth going forward in this business. Like that is historic growth. It's it's not going to happen going forward. But you know the the share price has done tremendously well. They've upped their dividend. They probably up their dividend next year. It's just a sleepy little business that hard you know Canadians don't own. Um, it's a company that pays you a dividend and uh, has some growth and uh, you know is trading at relatively reasonable prices. Will not be growing at you know fifty to seventy five percent year over year every year but it, you know over time it's in some good industries and should as we see the world continue to electrify uh this company should should uh participate as kind of a backbone to that mm-hmm. now we are going to be doing our uh first management interview it is with this week renee gorham president and ceo of tsx venture listed biosynth Again, they are a profitable, growth-oriented specialty pharma company focused on in-licensing or acquiring innovative pharmaceutical and other healthcare products, primarily for the Canadian market. Again, we got a great interview for you this week. We're going to launch into it with Renee right now. The following is not a recommendation or endorsement and does not constitute financial advice. Keystone and Keystone employees hold beneficial long positions in Bioscient at the time of recording. Well, today we are introducing a new feature to Keystone Stock Talk show, CEO interviews. We are interviewing quality businesses with solid track records of growth, solid balance sheets, and which we consider within our model of GARP or growth at a reasonable price with the potential to provide solid long-term returns. Now this week, we're gonna get right into it. It is my pleasure to in- introduce the president and CEO of Biosynth Inc. Symbol RX on the TSX Venture, Renee Gorham. Hello, Renee. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? doing? Very well, thank you. Good to see uh, you. Good to see you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked to you many times in the past. I'm introducing you to more of our team here today. So there's a lot of heads up on the screen for everybody. But uh, I've just gotten back from uh, California, so uh, I'm just getting acclimatized today. Uh, my mic wasn't working earlier, so Renee's been very patient with us. Or it was my earphones, sorry. We've been, he's been very patient with us, which has been great. Um, it's our first time doing these interviews, so we're going to get to some good questions. We're doing it kind of in the theme of when we do, as analysts, when we talk to management teams. These are some of the questions that we'll pose to Renee today. We're going to look at it from the perspective that we are just investigating this company. We're not, but we're going to look at it from that perspective to give our listeners a good idea of what Biosense does, what we might ask a business like this uh, when we're doing an interview to consider to put our money behind it and our client dollars behind it as well. So Renee, let's get you to just 
from your mouth. Tell us a brief overview of your business, and then we can drill down on um, you know some of the individual products, obviously your core brand, Ferramax, and then get into where some of your growth products and growth opportunities are. Okay. So Bioscient is a Mississauga, Ontario-based Canadian spec pharma company. Uh, we in-license and acquire assets for commercialization in Canada. And for uh, some of our assets that we own outright, uh, we commercialize those through partnerships outside of Canada. So we look for these unique and differentiated products that are not available in Canada. We find them in Europe, in the United States. Uh, we have worked on uh, opportunities with Japanese partners. Uh, and we look for products that will address an unmet need. Uh, do, do something uh, different or better than an existing product in the Canadian market. And then we provide all of the, the services and support for commercialization uh, of these products that you would expect to see uh, in the pharmaceutical industry. The, the difference is that we're not a research company. So the risk part that is associated with, with the pharmaceuticals and biotech is not really part of our business model. Um, we we de-risk it by focusing on assets that have been commercialized somewhere else and have uh, development has been completed. Excellent. That's one thing we definitely like about the business. Uh, in in uh, biosciences, generally, you can look at companies that you know are you have a hope and a plan at some point to bring a product online, but there is a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of risk that goes from that concept to actually bringing sales in and then driving cash flow. So with Biosent right now, we already have existing cash flow in licensing products. Their primary product is under the Fairmax brand. Can you go into that and then talk about the, the launch where that we expect to see more growth is from the Fairmax PD platform. So just talk about Ferramax is the number one doctor recommended supplement in Canada, iron supplement in Canada. So can you go into that? Just describe that main product. Yeah, so Ferramax was uh, launched or brand. Uh, Ferramax was launched to the Canadian market over 12 years ago. And it solves a, a distinct problem for oral, uh, oral iron supplements. Generally, iron supplements are not well tolerated by uh, by users, by patients. Uh, they cause gastrointestinal upset. So Ferramax is a carbohydrate wrap around the iron and essentially allows the, uh, the iron to be uh, absorbed in the duodenum. And uh, that, that means that most of the other products are, are kind of start corroding in the, in the gut and cause uh, constipation, upset stomach, uh, gastric pain. Um, and so that is really the purpose of of uh, Ferramax. We have been promoting this now to doctors, pharmacists, um, nurse practitioners, uh, and consumers uh, for, uh, as I say, over 12 years. We have a national sales force. We've got, uh, 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 I guess, Canada-wide distribution. I think our, there are about 11,000 pharmacies in Canada, and I would venture to say our products available in, in uh, 95% of those pharmacies, if it's not higher. Um, the, the business has grown uh, steadily for the, the entire period that we've been in the market. There have been periods where the, it's grown faster. Um, and we, we, were, we have the, the product as contract manufactured for us and together with our manufacturing partner, 
we undertook some development uh, just essentially to to further kind of demonstrate innovation. One of the things you've got to do in pharmaceuticals is to to innovate to hold your share. It's a it's a hyper competitive industry, and so we've been we've been uh, innovating so that we can hold our share and and grow our share. So we we introduced this uh, polydextrose iron complex formulation. Uh, it is patented. It goes out into uh, the mid twenty thirties. The patent, and um, and this is really to differentiate our, differentiate ourselves to our competition. Uh, we took our existing products and reformulated them with this new compound, and uh, started the process of of switching them out of the market. So we didn't. We didn't add it, we replaced existing products. That process started in about this time in 2020, and uh, we've done it now for our two Ferramax products. Um, in, in 2023, we'll be launching our first new product using this compound, and it'll be, it'll be innovative on a couple of fronts. Uh, I can't really speak too much about it at this point. We're, we're not like um, most pharma companies that, that telegraph what they're up to well in advance. We find uh, we would rather uh, we would rather come to market uh, without giving our competition advance notice. So we know that the Fairmax brand is by far the most important in terms of revenue uh, in the business right now. Can you give us a ballpark in terms of what the percentage of revenue that comes from the Fairmax brand? Yeah, so that that number's bounced around a little. Uh, Based on uh, what the entire portfolio has looked like, but we're somewhere in the mid 70s in terms of the ratio to top top line right now. Um, it it was that gives our listeners yeah, a really good it, idea. Of where it was you, lower. Where at, right? It was lower, but uh, yeah. but we discontinued some products last year. Yeah, and that you know that's it's a good core brand, and that's why you're looking for diversification. For sure, right, and and that's how we can get into some of the uh, the other products that you're bringing online right now. Uh, Tabella, which is a women's health product, uh, launched in July 2022. Uh, do you want to just tell tell our listeners what the product is, and then we can get into uh, there's uh, in terms of what you're looking for over peak sales, over what time, uh, and uh, how they're tracking today to where your expectations were when you sure. Launched. So that uh, Tabella was launched in um, in July of 2020. So we're just over two years. Yeah, I don't know why I said yeah, 2022. That, it's 2020. Right. It's uh, um, so Tabella is for vasomotor symptoms. So you hear of um, there's no women on this call right now. To I can see that. Uh, so for menopausal women, uh, one some of the symptoms they they experience are hot flashes and night sweats yeah. and. I have four sisters. Okay. So, well, there yes, you go. It's, um, it's, so this it's, generally happens uh, just prior to menopause and for some women can run for quite an extended period of time and make sleeping difficult and working difficult and life difficult. Uh, Tabella uh, is a formulation of a product that was launched in Europe about 25 or 30 years ago, never brought to the to the Canadian market. It's an example of, I say, we look for products that are unique and differentiated and, and not available in Canada. When we in-license a product, we are the sole um, marketer and distributor of those products in Canada. Um, we've had excellent feedback. The Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in Canada have just 
last year rewrote their guidelines that uh, obstetrics and gynecology and uh, family medicine follow uh, for women. And we were, and uh, Tabella and its its common name um, was written into the guidelines. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. And uh, we've had some very positive feedback and with a prescription medication, which this is, we don't often hear directly from patients, but uh, I have personally received uh, email into my inbox telling, telling me how much, uh, how much of a difference our product has made uh, to, to some, some patients. It's got to make you feel good product. knowing that you're helping people. Excellent. You know. Well, yeah, it's rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we, sure. we get that kind of communication, you know, I'm not going to say all the time, but we get it frequently enough that uh, we, we recognize that what we're doing is making a difference. That's good. Yeah, no, we, we ask for feedback all the time and uh, we only read the ones that are nice. So it's, it's about 5%, but you know, we still think it's great. Right. So, and we're just talking on the podcast. We got a lot of client feedback. That's good, which is good. No, I'm kidding. So, I, no, to, so we write down when we do interviews in the past, we write down things that our management team said. So when, I remember I interviewed you several years ago. And you talked about just a basic ballpark for where you're looking for Tabella. Peak sales, a low range would be in the range of four million, um, high range in the range of ten million. So it may take four to five years to get to some range like that. Now, how are you tracking to those numbers today? Now we do know there was this thing in the, called the pandemic in the middle there that you. This was before that that these numbers were uh, that you looked at and, and what we talked about. So. Uh, that threw a wrench in things, and you can we can talk about that at some point. You haven't been able to get out in front of doctors, but but how are you tracking those numbers? Do they still sound somewhat reasonable? Or are we in a range there? Um, so we'll, we'll talk about COVID, and it'll sound like the dog ate my homework. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's been a it's been a challenge for uh, for our industry for us. Uh, but I'll, I'll answer the Tabala uh, question directly, and then we can talk about uh, the dog eating my homework. Yeah. Uh, we're probably a yes. third of the way, uh, a third, our run rate, our current run rate would be about a third of the way on the lower end of that range uh, after two years. Yeah. And yeah. I would say uh, I'd give us, I'd give us a C minus performance to expectation. I would say that partly uh, a, a large part of our challenge has been access to the healthcare professional through COVID and there, um, I guess, between the patient and the, the doctor not seeing each other in person. In this specific area, um, hormone replacement therapy, doctors prefer to initiate therapy when they see the patient face-to-face. -face. So if uh, the patient's not going to see your doc or the doc is not seeing their patient in person and doing telephone consults, it's hard for them to initiate. Um, that would explain a chunk of what I would say being behind what, what we would have expected by now. Um, and with respect to where do I see it? Do I still see it in those ranges? I would say, as I, as I think I may have mentioned at the time, that the 10 would have been really everything, everything working well. And, uh, and you did. I, you did. I, I would... Blue sky I potential. Would, I would say that that's unlikely, but not, not impossible. Good. Now, um, as far as uh, I guess we can move from that project or 
product, sorry, to Combojizik. Um, now, th this is a product that is essentially acetaminophen and ibuprofen in one tablet. Uh, you can describe it even better than me, but uh, it was launched December 16th, 2020. Do we have that one right? Yes, we announced it in... Uh, to yeah. the date. We, we don't have to the hour, yeah. but we'll, we'll try that yeah. next time, right? So uh, it commenced first shipments uh, to Canadian wholesalers at that time. Uh, you expected at that time. I mean, why don't you describe the product and then we'll talk about expectations sure. and see where we're at. Sure. So, so Combogesic is a combination of um, acetaminophen and ibuprofen uh, in a ratio of 3.3 to 1. And uh, it essentially, you know, combines these trusted, I'm not going to name the brand names, but uh, if you were to check those out, you would recognize those brands in a heartbeat. These are large entrenched brands that have been you know, well-known amongst Canadians for pain relief for decades. Uh, it combines those two compounds, which most patients or consumers of, of analgesic medication don't even realize they can do safely. Uh, it's something yeah. that uh, doctors, healthcare professionals, dentists have been combining for, for a long time. And uh, the idea is that, that uh, the combination of these two in a single fixed dose is easier to take. There's you know, less juggling of timings on uh, ibuprofen and acetaminophen have different dosing schedules. Um, we find that the onset of action, so when it starts working and killing the pain is faster with Combogesic and it has a longer duration. The other thing that, uh, that, that we know uh, from talking to both pharmacists and doctors is there's there are a lot of uh, people that take uh, off-the-shelf pain medication and don't get the desired result. So they're looking for another solution. And that's really, that's the picture of our, our patient or our consumer is we're really there to solve the problem for those, uh, for, for those people that have failed on other medication. Okay. So the, the total uh, addressable market is massive, like even just in Canada, relatively speaking. But where is there a niche for you? And talk about the product. Is there protection in terms of patent protection? Where are you at on that? And, and uh, just where do you think the niche will be? And then we'll talk about your expectations. Yeah. So, you know, be, because, you know, you, you think of, uh, uh, of pain medication, you think, well, I, you know, when I have a pain, it's, you know, I hurt my, my elbow playing golf or I've got a hangover. I'm just going to go to the local pharmacy. Brennan has gonna, one right now. I'm going to go to the local incredible. pharmacy I'm and I'm going to just get my pain medication. That's not our market per se. It, it may become that, uh, but really our strategy is to be the, uh, the, the preferred choice of the healthcare professional. So when you've got a, what yeah. we find is, now our research tells us this, is that uh, when, when the, the regular one isn't working, you either go to the pharmacist at the counter and you ask, okay, listen, this is my pain, this is my situation, and uh, the and so we're looking to have the pharmacist recommend, and also the doctor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. about fifty percent of the pain walk-up consultations that a pharmacist has are with patients that have tried other pain medication and are looking for a solution. It's about the same ratio for GPs and family medicine. So. Yeah, and you you have that referral for, with Faramax now, right? Like uh, the number one exactly. doctor recommended in the country. You'd love to get that with. Oh Holland yeah, Jesus. that's and and the yeah. the numbers are great. Like it's a massive uh, category, and you know I'm not going to give you the 
I'm sure you've had you've talked to people that tell you about how massive the category is, and all I have to get is, you know, one quarter of one percent, and then you know, like that's not our approach to the business. We we're building it kind of from the healthcare professional and their patients back uh, to to a business, and of course we've looked at what they've done in other markets, and uh, in other markets the the product has been treated more like a direct to consumer product, but that's not our strategy. Um, okay. In terms of potential, you know, this this is um, this this has been a tough journey for us. Uh, the the competitors are very well entrenched, and it's been harder for us to break through. You know, COVID has been a massive factor, but for different reasons than I explained on Tabella. Uh, but the traffic in the doctor's office has been an issue. This is a this uh, category therapeutic class is often initiated with samples. And I don't know if you gentlemen have had a chance to, to go by or try Combogesic. I encourage you to do so. Um, you might make our sales tick up a little bit. That would be fantastic. Um, the product is brilliant. It works really well. Uh, I personally use it because I'm a golfer and I've got issues with my elbow and, and uh, I just I need less than I would normally take if I took ibuprofen. Um, so, you know, the product works, but you got to get the sample to try it. And this yeah. has been an issue for us. Uh, our, our ability to get the sample to the patient through the doctor has just been impaired through COVID. It's been better in the last six months. And as a result, we've seen the business finally ticking the way we would have expected, you know, a year ago. Yeah, you had a significant uptick in both Tabella and Combogesic in terms of sales in the last quarter from low numbers, though, but it had a significant jump up there. Now, when we originally talked on it, uh, you talked about the opportunity being larger than Tabella, uh, just ballpark speaking. You expect the product to eventually challenge Fairmax. It has the potential as the largest product in terms of sales. You said peak sales will take longer than Tabella. Uh, so how is Combogesic? You talked a bit about how it's tracking today. Do you still think that that's reasonable? Hmm. Um, I, I might kind of uh, soften my enthusiasm, but that's based on, that's recency bias talking. So yeah. it's not the market any different than what I that what we believed it to be, but it's more recency bias. In other words, it's been a tough it's been a tough road and. Um, and it's kind of like jogging on the beach. Uh, when when you thought you were going to be on firm or sand, I would say that that's how it feels right now. Uh, we've got lots of encouraging uh, data uh, in our KPIs that the business is moving forward. I would say for sure the road will be longer, uh, but the market is there and the feedback we get on the product is outstanding. So it's not a product issue. It's just it's it's uh, getting to the both the healthcare professional and the consumer and having them come together with uh, with that kind of change in habit and there's a lot of entrenched habit in this category that we're overcoming so is it is it more of a spend in front of these doctors and pharmacists or is it more uh time that is needed or a combination uh not sure what you mean by spend spend to kind of well we're getting getting in front like if you got to get samples in their yeah. hands if you've got to get um like, is, is it going to keep more marketing spend on this or is it just time and education? Uh, and it may both. take some money to get behind education, both. behind the product. Both. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, okay. we're doing things like engaging with uh, with teaching pharmacy uh, that that provide tools to pharmacists to 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 help their patients or customers manage pain. So we're doing a number of things in that area. I would say that work will continue, and is a it's a long game. Like that. That's the the one good thing here is yeah. it is a long game. Um, and and we are we're growing our sales force, but not we're, we're not growing it just for Comagesic. We we grew our sales force last year. This year, we've got new products coming to market, so we're we're our footprint on the ground is greater. So I I guess in that regard, that is a greater spend that we've got in aggregate. Then the, it's a question of how much time is allocated to the the Comagesic interaction with customers. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's a combination of the two. It's a it's likely more investment to get to a, a, a level that we're, we feel is a good foundation for growth into the future. Excellent. Now, now the new women's health product uh, you talked about, which is yet to be on, it's not named uh, as of yet, but um, it cleared certain key regulatory hurdles during 2021 uh, launch preparations for this product are underway. Uh, any details on the market size potential potential there peak revenues yeah expected date so much? Um, it's a quite a uh, it's known as a syndrome not a um, yeah it's it, it, what, what we're going after is a syndrome um, mm-hmm. very undiagnosed large cohort of women that uh, that suffer the symptoms of the syndrome and uh, it it impacts uh, women differently. So the market itself is, you know, relatively large, but um, because it's fairly undiagnosed, it's this one will be a, a fairly long game. We know we have a specific wedge. We know where to go to kind of get the d- discussion going with doctors. There's a certain group of doctors that uh, that we're going to start with. Uh, so we're we think it's a uh, you know, you know the the revenues that that, that you used before for Tabella, it's in that range, maybe a little bit stronger. Um, and and okay. this one is yeah. is a little different in that eventually we'll be communicating directly to the patient as well as to the doctor. This will be less um, interaction with pharmacy, and more interaction with doctor, specialist, and patient. Uh, whereas, for example, I'm not sure if you're aware that on a product like Tabella, we don't we cannot communicate by law directly with the patient. So, you know, in the in the U.S., yeah. you see a lot of advertising of medication um, directly to the consumer in magazines and television. Uh, that's not allowed in Canada. You can't, on a prescription medication, you can't uh, talk about uh, brand and indication in the same advertisement. Unique challenge for marketing, for sure, yeah, in, in the Canadian market now. And and Renee, when when Renee talks about you know like uh, having a product be four million in terms of revenue at peak, um, it is meaningful to this company because you know twenty twenty eight million roughly in sales in twenty twenty one. So if you can get to that, it can really add to growth over time. So just to give the listeners an idea, that is a a meaningful product in in the portfolio over the long term. Now, can you touch quickly on the international business and then the legacy business, and then we can move into some questions, other sure. questions. Sure. Um- so our, our international business is a way to, uh, you know, increase the sales of Ferromax 
any any of the put-ups of Ferromax. So we we sell to uh, four markets right now, and but not necessarily all products. And we've got um, I'll call them uh, partner development initiatives in a couple of additional markets. Uh, so essentially, because we own we own the mark, all of our other products are in licensed, and we're not the owner of the mark, but we have long-term distribution and licensing deals. In the case of Ferromax, we own the brand, and um, and so we we have looked for opportunities to maximize sales outside of Canada. So, you know, we, we've we've had sales internationally. I think going back uh, nine years. It has ebbed and flowed, and we are, for the most part, our business is being done in not what I would describe as A or B markets. And as a result, we're kind of um, our partners. Not It's not us directly. What we do is we partner. Think of the opposite of what we're doing, where we partner with pharmaceutical companies and take on all the obligations, regulatory, uh, you know, Health Canada, and then getting it into the distribution channel and promotion, we rely on partners to do that. So we're not taking that risk for in our business. And uh, we just we have we've had some we've had some issues with that business and uh, and I, I would say I can't I don't see it it's been very lumpy. We've we've been as much as I think two and a half or two point seven million dollars in sales and and a couple of years ago we did a quarter of a million and uh, I don't see that changing in the near term. Yeah, I, I think what you've said typically is you'll take the incremental revenue and profits and just live with the lumpiness. So that's how investors should look at it. One quarter, it could look great. The next quarter, like the last quarter, I think you had zero international revenues, correct? Like Q2. It can look like that, but you're not going to not take, because it is profitable, a profitable business. It can add to the cash flow. So why not do it? Uh, so that's, you know, it's going to be lumpy and expect that going forward. Now talk about the legacy business. Yeah, so we, you know, we started um, we started life. I guess this iteration of life as uh, as an ag tech company. We we're actually based in Vancouver. We were uh, an ag tech company. We rebranded the the business in two thousand and six and pivoted away from ag tech to uh, to human health. And um, so we sell a non chemical grain insecticide. It's used uh, primarily in cereal grains. Our primary market is Canada. We do have uh, some business in the U.S. Uh, that we we have a sales agent, and then we just uh, sell directly to uh, regional distributors. Uh, that business um, is is not as bankable as pharmaceuticals when you have it up and going, because uh, it really depends on conditions. How what how many acres have been seeded? What have the growing conditions been like? A whole raft of factors that make it uh, uh, very unpredictable, and uh, but it's a nice business. We, we it doesn't take much management time. It doesn't take in, very little time internally in the organization. It generates a high level of profitability. You know, we run it. It's been running about a million dollars in revenue, uh, but it's been it's been more in the past as well. Okay, now uh, you just, uh, for the start of this year, discontinued three products, two brands. Can you detail, I mean, we know, but can you detail for our listeners the rationale behind the transaction? Sure. 
these were uh, these were two, two two products in one brand, the Agatel system, and another product uh, known as Sisview. Uh, they were in quite different areas of business, but they relied on reimbursement or uh, the payer was the hospital. And uh, I think um, I think people recognize that hospitals are uh, have got some some serious budget pressure with the uh, evolution of demographics is one for sure that's happening right now. Provincial healthcare budgets under pressure, and uh, so we found that challenging uh, challenging environment to begin with. Um, in addition, there were things that were specific to each of those separately. We we just what we did is we choreographed it to do it at the same time to kind of rip the bandaid off. And uh, in the case of Sisview, our arrangement with our partner had us uh, had a requirement for us to make further milestone investments. We did not see a pathway based on how that business was going to get a return on investment. So rather than you know, to spend spend more to generate um, uh, a very nominal amount of well, that brand wasn't profitable, but maybe a nominal profit in the future. We we decided that we would not continue uh, with that asset. With the Agaton system, it was really a, a matter of one profitable product and one product that wasn't profitable, and we just decided that we would focus on higher growth opportunities that over time could deliver a higher level of profit. Yeah, and you can see the rationale too. When you remove those from your results in the last quarter, sales were down, but the profitability was actually up significantly. So, you know, it, it, from a profit perspective, a good decision to, to exit those from our perspective. Uh, now, let's look at the balance sheet. We love companies with great balance sheets. Biosynth, for its size, tremendously strong balance sheets. $27.8 in cash in the bank as at June 30th. Basically, no debt. Um, now, that would be, just to give you an idea, around $2.20 per share. And the company trades just above $7 today. So it's a significant chunk of this business just in cash. Uh, and it's a profitable business. So what what are your plans or uses for that cash near midterm and long term? Uh, you've done share buybacks. We can touch on that first. You recently announced a quarterly dividend, which is great to see. Uh, acquisitions. We'll talk about the current environment. But let's just look at your share buybacks. Uh, um, I, I can detail them for a second sure. and you can go into them. But we've seen you reduce uh, from, I think it's just 2018, uh, you had 14.67 million shares out. Uh, to 2021, there was 12.6 million shares out, 14% lower. I think you spent 13 million in buybacks. So tremendous. Uh, what that does on an incremental basis, on a per share basis, if we look at this company, um, just the, uh, you earned uh, in the last 12 months about 50 cents per share, correct? Uh, without those buybacks, you would have had 43 cents per share. So on a per share basis, you as a shareholder have benefited significantly from those buybacks. So, you know, you can, if those numbers are correct, I think they are from there and it's improved even heading to this year as well. Um, but do you have further buybacks planned? Is it going to be part of the structure going forward? We believe it is, but you would like to hear it from. Yeah, you. I, uh, yes, uh, we we intend to continue to to buy back shares. Uh, we don't we don't chase the market. Um, I, I think uh, my observation uh, I've seen some companies use it as a tool to kind of uh, prop up their share price. Uh, we we 
That's not yeah. our strategy. But yeah, I would say that it is our intention to continue to invest in NCIB. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're in blackout right now. So our, our quarter ended September 30th and we won't be uh, coming out with our Q3 results until November. So we're in blackout, but we provide written instructions to, uh, to an agent that acts on our behalf. And I'm pretty sure they were in the market every day this week. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're in the market now and we intend to be in the future. Uh, I, what we found is our ability to deploy capital under NCIB has, uh, it's, it's inconsistent. That, that's essentially kind of, yeah. you know, if you said you phoned up and said, Hey man, like the market's gone, gone haywire. You should just grab every share you can get your hands on. Um, it's, it's tricky because of the rules for the TSX venture around, uh, around what uh, the, what we can do when we're buying back. It is true. Now, uh, the, the, the other side of this is too, the company's not issuing a ton of shares through a share option plan because there's some companies that are buying back shares and issuing and your net net, you see either stay the same or they're issuing more shares through their share option plan. So uh, you guys, uh, you're not doing that. Can you talk yeah. about uh, the way you uh, incentivize employees? Yeah, so we haven't, we haven't issued uh, any stock options in three and a half years. We've essentially put that, that form of, of compensation for managers and, and executives on hold, and we replaced it with a restricted share unit. And, and uh, now you can, an RSU isn't by definition non-dilutive because uh, you if you uh, just issue from treasury, then it is dilutive. But what we've what we've decided to do is capitalize on a strong balance sheet. And what we do is when we essentially it doesn't have to be timed exactly, but we what we're doing is in the open market, we're buying back shares for our RSUs. It's actually a different agent acting on our behalf than the one that we use for NCIB, and uh, they uh, they hold those shares in trust. And as those obligations under the RSUs come due, then uh, we already own those shares. So there is no dilution. And uh, that's the way we've done it uh, now for three and a half years. Okay. Now, recently announced quarterly dividend. Do you want to give some quick details on that and the rationale? Sure. There? We, uh, we announced, uh, well, we adopted a, 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 di a dividend policy uh, in August. And uh, just a few weeks ago, we, the, our, our board of directors announced uh, the issuance or declaration of its, uh, the company's first dividend in, um, to shareholders of record on, I think, the end of November uh, to be paid on December 15th. It's a four cent per share dividend. Uh, and we've also disclosed that it is our intention to, to pay that on a quarterly basis. So it's a quarterly dividend starting December. Um, so the quarters being December, March, June, et cetera. Um, that is about uh, based on our shares outstanding, not, with, not, not including what we bought yesterday in, in under the NCIB is about a half a million dollars. And uh, our rationale was, you know, it, it wasn't one reason that, that we decided to do this. Uh, we've got a, a number of shareholders that have been with the company for, uh, Quite a long period of time. Uh, we uh, 
we have seen extreme volatility in our in our share price over the last several years, like extreme. Like we were through at the beginning of a COVID, you could buy us for three and a half dollars, I think. Um, and so we we know that we're doing good things with growing our business and uh, that we have a very long term view of how we're managing our business. And uh, so we're we're looking to attract shareholders that are interested in in uh, that process and that journey. And uh, we think that it's uh, just a, a good way to kind of keep them involved through the payment of a dividend. Uh, but the, the thing that I'd like to add to that, Ryan, is that our strategy is about growing sales and diversifying our portfolio. And the first dollar that we make available is to those two things, selling more of the existing products that we have and finding more and in licensing and launching those products. So this is not us saying, well, we can't grow anymore. Let's pay a dividend. This is really, we're growing. We have a capital light business model. We have a 12 and a half year. I think it's 48 consecutive quarters of profitability. And it just recognizes that our balance sheet is, is disproportionate to our business. And we just want to get that right sized. So those are, no, I mean, I think it's a, an old thought process to think once the company pays a dividend, that then it has no more growth available to it. Some of the best stocks we've ever bought and recommended to clients are what we call dividend growth stocks. So, you know, growing that dividend over time uh, and rewarding shareholders with that dividend, it keeps good shareholders in the business long term, which is, you know, a great thing to see. And you get paid to own the shares through some volatility. Now, in a best case scenario, if you can if you can continue to grow cash flow over time, would the process be to raise the dividend over time, be a dividend growth stock at some point? You're not going to make me promise that, are you? No, I don't need you to so, promise. I said best case yes, scenario if everything I, goes I, every right. Every expectation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now we'll hold you to that right there. After <laughs> we. <laughs> So the, uh, also there's acquisitions in licensing in the market. How is the current environment? Now we've talked to a number of teams in your segment, um, you know, it, it, differing opinions. It was very expensive at some point starting to see, which is across all industries really right yeah. now. You start to think, see things come more into a range where it's more realistic. How is that market for you? What are you seeing? Right. So I'm, I'm going to break it into kind of two, two buckets. The one bucket is acquisition. And when, when, when we talk about acquisition, we're talking about acquiring assets that are already launched in market and generating revenue. Um, we have looked at more opportunities in the last roughly 12 months uh, than we had in the three or four years before that. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I think part of it was kind of what's happening, the, the general, the macroeconomic environment, interest rates, I think has been part of the story, but not all of it necessarily. So we've had a, a plenty of deal flow. There's nothing uh, uh, that I would say at this stage in that regard that we're working on, but, uh, but we're always on standby and the key, the key players in that area, they, they know, they, they know we're interested. Um, but we just we just have found, even though you know some may feel prices are getting um, more reasonable, I think what what our experience has been, if you look at the Canadian specialty pharmaceutical market in the last decade-ish, roughly uh, you know maybe eight years, 
there's a long history of overpayment and, and uh, capital destruction in our view. And so our approach is, uh, I guess, a little bit more responsible, a uh, little bit more conservative. Uh, I'm wearing a blue shirt for a reason. Um, so that's just our approach to the business. And, and so we're not going to chase. Uh, we, we thought we were close on a couple of things um, and then somebody else has decided that the, the you know return on investment is they can get it at a higher price and so we we decided to back off on that on uh, the other bucket is licensing we have seen no reduction or increase in, in activity and competition it's different different players it's like a game of whack-a-mole so the players of who are available and who's in the market uh, looking for assets to end license has changed. Some of them are the same. Some of them have stayed the same. But what we've experienced is that companies have come and gone. Some of them have literally run two, two wheels into the ditch and never come out of the ditch. Uh, uh, and so we don't see any more or less competition. Um, you know, we, the last time we, we did an in-licensing deal, it was that women's health product. It's been a while, right? So it's not like we're not yeah. working on it. We did get deep on several transactions and for a variety of reasons, never the same reason, didn't get them to the finish line. Uh, sometimes uh, the, the kind of phase three trial results, the clinical trial results didn't pan out and it didn't make sense uh, for the asset for us. That there are a number of factors, but you know the fact is we haven't in-licensed something now for, for some period of time, uh, but it's not that we're not working on transactions and it's not like we don't have deal flow. We've got as much in our funnel as we've had ever, I would say, and and more people working on it than we've had. Okay, let's quickly touch on uh, the, uh, during COVID access to healthcare professionals, doctors, clinicians, pharmacies, uh, difficult improving now? Yeah, I, it, it's better now than, better now than it has been at any time since the beginning of March of 2020. Not, not yeah. back to normal. Um, I'll give you an exa I'll give you an example in Ontario, you know that the, the um, Ministry of Health has been imploring doctors to please come and see your patients at your clinic, and um, and that that didn't really work. So then they were going to make billing changes. They said, well, you can't. We're we're going to make it so that you can't bill for for remote consults, and they said we're going to Im implement that in October, and then October came and is about to come and go. Oh, we've punted it to December. So, you know. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know if it's ever going to go back to pre-COVID. I think that I don't expect it to. Um, and so it's a challenge for us, but it's better now than it has been since COVID began. We're now probably getting to about 90% of our targeted calls on, a, on an aggregate of our whole sales force. Uh, probably about 90% of our targeted calls of what we would have expected pre-COVID. Okay, that's that's good color on that. Now let's talk about the financials. Twenty twenty one was a, a tremendous year. Twenty eight million in revenues up from twenty two, I believe. Forty nine cents per share up from twenty nine. So tremendous growth there. The first half of this year, you have discontinued products in the Canadian pharma. If we exclude those, I think the first half revenues were up four percent with discontinued products down two percent. 
Um, when do you think you can make up for the absence of those discontinued products? How long do you think you start to uh, lap that and have growth uh, on a total basis? I mean, there's growth there in the Canadian pharma right now if we exclude those, which we should. But uh, where in terms of total growth uh, do you start to lap yeah. that? So um, the short answer is by, by next year. Um, the more detailed answer is, you know, we have really three buckets, right? We have the legacy business you asked me about. We have the international business and we have the Canadian pharmaceutical business. And those three together, you know, form the top line that you talked about. And yes. so, you know, we've got some of our legacy business. There's some, a little bit of bobbing and weaving there. Um, uh, inconsistency of what, I, what I've seen. Um, and our international business is, is as I said, is, uh, is still going to be very lumpy. I would say that we will have replaced the value of the discontinued products, top line value. Um, we will have replaced them uh, with new products, uh, some of which were launched before they were discontinued, just to be clear. Um, but we also have new yeah. products coming to market, which we expect uh, the two new products should be revenue generating by the second quarter. So I, I would say all, all in all that we ex fully expect to be, have made up for and be growing the, the business by the middle of next year on, our, on a run rate, on a okay. run rate basis. Now, um, in terms of uh, your core product, Ferramax, in the quarter, uh, it was down just for Q2, down 8%. Can you go over how the wholesale trade inventory was reduced slightly in that quarter, how that affected Yeah, things? so um, we, we, uh, we publish our results because they're linked to financials and we talk about units are what we ship to wholesalers. And of course, mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody goes and buys uh, our products from a wholesaler. They go buy them from the pharmacy. So we report sales and units, dollars and units, let's call them, and, and to shipments to wholesalers. The wholesalers ship to pharmacies. And so our best proxy for consumption is when it gets shipped to the pharmacy, because no pharmacy is buying it unless they've got patients or consumers buying uh, from them. Uh, and what we saw was uh, kind of a shift in, and we, this is not, not new, but we've seen this from time to time where those two seem to be out, out of sync. Uh, I, I think what we saw uh, is that uh, the retail sales have continued. And obviously we're, we're having a discussion now about results ended June 30th. It's, uh, it's you know, late October. I can say that the trend is consumption is, is I'm not going to use the word strong, but stronger than what our primary sales would have indicated to June 30th. Okay. Okay. And, I, and we did touch on Tabella and Comalgesic. The growth Tabella in the quarter was 52%, Comalgesic 45%, obviously from a small base. Um, is that kind of the growth you expect? on an annual basis, uh, or was that a, you know, tremendous growth in one quarter from a low base? Uh, just to give us an idea. Yeah, of where our, our experience is the, the year on year growth for launch products as, you know, you establish a base in the first year, regardless of what time of year, or what, what quarter you launch. And then you've got, as you kind of intuitively, you've got a higher growth rate at the beginning of the curve. And, so as your as your um, 
denominator is lower. And so I would expect those products, Combogesic, we would expect that to continue for some period of time. Uh, Tabella, mm -hmm. maybe not so much um, because it's a little bit deeper in its evolution and penetration in the market. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I would expect uh, you know strong double digit growth for some period of time from those products. Good. So despite this the the slight revenue drop in the quarter, profitability was up in Q two and it marked the forty eighth consecutive profitable quarter. Uh, net income after tax for Q two increased twenty percent. The net income after tax margin uh, increased to eighteen percent. Um, from 14% in Q2 to, or 2021. Uh, now, this was due to essentially the, the expenditure. Or you pulled out those discontinued products. Is that the main impact on, on the margins there? The margins themselves? We had some launch expenses uh, related to... Yeah, you would have had the launch yeah, expenses. Yeah, so we had some well, launch yes, expenses that would be of a, you know, more of a one-time nature, but... Um, yeah, I mean, so that the the revenue is impacted by pulling out uh, the, the the products that we've discontinued. Uh, the profitability, yeah. I think, it's just really there's some timings there in terms of in, in planned investments when those investments are made. But yeah, I mean, we as I mentioned, the discon some of the discontinued products, two of them were very thin margin, gross margin, yeah. and and no actual operating margin. So we're we've replaced them with higher margin opportunities, but we have to invest in growing those products. Yeah, so that would be my next question. Um, can you expect that net income after tax, that 18%, is is that a, uh, a number that you'd look for going forward or because you have an increased spend on uh, maybe in a quarter or over the course of the next year on Tabella or Combogesic, would it eat into that net income after tax market? Yeah. Um, of course, I think of uh, NIAT in two ways. One is the ratio you described, and the other one is the abs absolute yeah. dollars. Um, yeah. You know, over time, uh, we expect that NIAT margin uh, ratio to go up. Um, I would say in the next 12 to 18 months, that would not be the case. I would say be, we've got um, uh, more investment in Salesforce and marketing and launch initiatives. We are investing in our Ferramax lifecycle strategy, both on development and um, and also some research that we're doing, not research as in uh, R&D research, but marketing research. And all of those together aggregate a greater spend. Uh, I would expect that our, our OPEX next year might grow by 20%. Um, I, I would also expect our revenue to be sales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our sales to grow as well, obviously, but our opex. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, the potential for a recession. How does that affect Biosynth? Yeah. So at Bioscient, we're we're in an interesting place. Um, the the what you spend is less discretionary when you're spending on your health, generally. Yeah. Um, and if, if you go to a hospital and they need to put a catheter uh, into your bladder and use cathogel, they're gonna do that. So it doesn't matter if there's a recession. 
Um, I we would hope so, right? So, yeah, we would hope. Yeah, they do it. yeah. so exactly. We know so they do. now, um, I think of what's going to cause the recession, which is really very much central bank driven and interest rates, um, and that's inflation. And so that is having an impact on our business for sure, right? Cost of goods. Uh, moving goods, we are generally an importer. I, t I tell you, I told you earlier, we look for products all around the world and we bring them to Canada. So, you know, we got to get them here. So there's a supply chain cost. And then there's also um, just generally the cost of manufacturing. What we hear from, from our partners and across the industry is lab there's labor cost pressure or labor of, uh, lack of labor availability, which drives more investment in labor. So we're we're affected more by inflation, recession, I would mm -hmm. say number two. And yes, listen, we sell premium products. Our products are not the lowest priced. So there, there will be cheaper alternatives in the, in the market. And I expect that that will have an impact on us, but it's not, a, we're not a Ferrari dealer, right? So if I'm, if I'm a yeah. Ferrari dealer, I'm really worried about it. We're not a Ferrari dealer. Now, uh, we like management teams that have skin in the game. Do you, can you tell us what your shareholdings are in the business and if you're buying shares today? Um, I own uh, about 17 and a half percent of the company. Yeah. Uh, I should say, we do know this, but if yeah, we like yeah, to yeah. have our listeners yeah, yeah. hear this as well. Say it out loud. These and questions. Look, in, yes, look yeah. into the camera. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, just under 18% of the company. Of course, that ratio goes up as we're buying back shares. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the reason that we're buying back shares. I've explained that already. But uh, And I am, I am participating in our employee share purchase plan, which we have, I think, 80% of our employees participate in that. So I'm, I'm buying shares every two weeks, I guess. Okay. I'm not, di I'm okay, not directing now. that because that's done by an independent party. But yeah, I'm, I'm buying back. We're buying shares, yeah. So what would you be most excited about right now for shareholders of Biosense uh, if we look two to three years going forward? And why should people buy Biosense stock? Well, I was going to say that the thing that, you know, there's, there's business reasons and market reasons is the way I would describe it. Um, you know, yeah. I don't think people appreciate the long-term growth prospects in our business. I think they're missing that. Um, we're doing it a little bit on the quiet. We're not a big promoter. Um, you don't see a press release every time we kind of go to a meeting or do a something. Um, I think we've done some, some very interesting things that are going to build some value, some revenue and value in our business long-term. I would say that uh, they're just generally underappreciated, which is, it's kind of, it's fine um, uh, because we don't, we're not a capital consumer. We have a capital, a, a capital like business model and we're a cash generating business. And uh, I think the new products that we're bringing to market, uh, some of the innovation that we're bringing that we've talked about today, um, you know, I fully expect our business will be 50% larger than let's say last year's revenue. And I expect that to be, you know, over a five year period of time. If you look, if you look at the five years that ended last year uh, and used the previous year as the base, I think the business grew 60% or so. And I, I would expect that we'll do that again uh, 
for the next five-year period of time. So it's not one single thing that's got me excited. It's just all of the various growth prospects. It's what we're doing isn't binary. It's not like if this thing works, we're it's fantastic. We've got a number of things that we're doing that we think in aggregate will layer up to, to building some value for shareholders. Okay, is there anything you guys want to touch on? Oh, Aaron's muted. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. We usually ask at the end of these, is there anything that we didn't touch on today that we really should have? Boy, you've been thorough. Um, I know. I, I, know I, we sometimes do longer than this. And, uh, I think that either us or the management team is grabbing a sandwich or falling asleep, but you got, you got to be thorough. Yeah. Right? If, if you're going to put money behind it, you got to do that. Yeah, no, I understand. So nothing really, right? Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, we didn't we didn't <laughs> dig deep into competitors and like it's we're in a, no, we're in a yeah. competitive business. It's a very competitive it's business, true. and we compete with small companies, tiny ones, and we compete and with the company. biggest. And it's you know, yeah. it's it's not an easy breezy business, but it's it is there are barriers to entry, and we're well past those barriers. And so we're feeling pretty good about what we've built so far, but we've, we've got a long way to go. I've got one question. So for the sales reps, um, are they given the whole portfolio of products to sell or maybe one or two products or like, how does that work essentially? Yeah. So typically we'll build the sales force around the needs of the business, the opportunities for growth and the, the call points. We call them call points. So think of, we talked, uh, about get you know calling on a hospital or calling on a pharmacy or calling on a, a family medicine. So it depends on which product are a, an appropriate fit and then how many of those there are and then where they are. And the other thing that we factor in is frequency. So one is, you know, who do we have to go see and where are they? And the other one is how often do I have to get there to deliver the message? So that's frequency. So on a product that's been launched and is well known in the market, your frequency requirement is lower than it is for launch products. So we put that together in a fairly sophisticated model that uh, that then dashboards for us. Literally at, at any point in time, I can tell you how many calls our people made yesterday um, and how many of them were on targeted doctors and targeted pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. That typically what, we'll, what you'll find is up to three products on a, on every on any call, but we do have um, right now. We do have uh, we had a couple of reps that were uh, kind of a contract team calling only on dentists. That's all they were doing. Uh, we don't have that team anymore. Uh, right now, everyone else has got more or less the same type of healthcare professional they're calling on. But when we launch next year, the new pro one of the new products we mentioned. Uh, that that group will be fully dedicated, but much smaller. And because the call points of where they're going to, who they have to go see, there's there's significantly fewer of them because it's a specialty, awesome. a specialty product. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Well, we we really appreciate your time, Renee, and and uh, going through this, being the guinea 
guinea pig on our first uh, management interview that we actually do on our podcast. I mean, we've been doing these for too long, like 20 plus years. So, but not, uh, not in this format, but I'm, I'm really pleased that we got to chat with you here. And uh, I'm sure our listeners are all going to be pleased to hear this episode. We'll, we'll get the feedback. And if they're not, well, that's the, the you know, they're not looking at, uh, you need to be looking at good companies like this. You know, it's one of the 15 to 25 stocks that, you know, if you're looking two to five years forward, which most of our listeners and clients are, you know, it's a good quality name. And, uh, you know, you can look at a company like this to put in our portfolio, in your portfolio. Certainly not being paid to say that. Uh, we just look for good companies that, uh, that we want to put in our portfolio. Yep. So thanks for doing the interview, Renee. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Have Wish a good you all the best. Cheers. You bet. Uh, yeah, you have a yeah. good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. So that was our first stab at a CEO interview. Give us your feedback. Tell us if you want those longer, shorter, whatever you liked about it, whatever you didn't like about it, you know, Brennan's face, whatever we want to talk Brennan's about questions. these interviews. Yeah. I, you like Brennan's face. If you've got other questions for us to ask for companies that you'd like to see us asking, put those forward. Comment on us on our YouTube. Smash the subscribe button. Continue to do that. Attend our seminars this week, Wednesday. Uh, that's the second. Next Tuesday, the eighth, uh, seven o'clock Eastern, seven o'clock on the eighth, seven o'clock Pacific on the second. And if you want to go to Vancouver in person, become a VIP client, or in Calgary over the weekend on the is it fifth and sixth or Correct. fourth and fifth? Fifth, fifth and, and sixth. sixth. Thank fifth you. And sixth. By all means, sign up for those. There's only a couple seats left. As always, I'd like to wish everybody profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.